This is the science behind the art, where we discuss the insights of the cosmetic industry through a different lens, uniting scientists and artists. We are the New York Society of Cosmetic Chemists. I'm Maria. I'm Regina. And I'm Leah. Join us as we embrace beauty and dive behind the scenes of the cosmetic industry. Well, hi, Regina. Uh, it's great to be here and to talk about sun protection, sun care. Uh, so my name is David Schlossman. I am the president of Kobo Products. Uh, Kobo has been a supplier of ingredients to the personal care products industry since uh, personal care products market since uh, 1987. And we have been working on products for UV protection since around 1994. I'm looking forward to being here. Our emphasis regarding sun care has been on uh, mineral sunscreens. So we have two plants in the United States, in New Jersey. So one plant uh, is focused on surface treating pigments and the other plant makes uh, makes dispersions. So together those plants work together uh, in harmony to control the agglomerate size of the minerals so that in order to optimize their performance in sunscreen products because the particle size of the pigments is critical to get broad spectrum protection. We also have a facility in, in France and a direct subsidiary in Brazil, and, and they manufacture uh, materials. And Cobalt Plant is registered uh, with the FDA. We operate under GMP. Today, we can talk about you know, products, we can talk about trends, and we can talk about regulations, and we can talk about things that we think are important for the future of the, of the business in order to protect people from, from UV radiation or, you know, more broadly from sunlight. Uh, I did a, something for the NYSCC earlier this year where there was a sun webinar and I, and I'm, the, my focus was on uh, the connection between COVID and, and sun protection. And like COVID, sun protection is a, it's a public health issue. And, you know, you've got, uh, like COVID, you've got people that think wearing masks are important. And same thing when it comes to protecting yourself from the sun, you've got folks that will wear hats and sunscreen, and you got others that think it's, uh, you know, it's more cool not to. So, you know, how, how do you how do you educate people? How what's what's a government what's government's role in that process? How do government and industry work together to get a better product for consumers? I think that that's that's the future. That's we've seen how it can work well under COVID, and it could work like that for sunscreens you know i would just also like to say if you think about like what's happened with j and j okay the government invested a billion dollars okay in their vaccine all right if you were going to test a sunscreen on 40,000 people okay that would run into you know more than 10 million dollars probably could be 20 million all right so 
uh, it's an obstacle. You know, the cost, the cost to cost of innovation, you know, is a factor. And, and really, uh, we, we really need to have a public private partnership to educate and further, you know, further the further the products and the protection and, and, and make people safer under the sun. Yeah, definitely. I mean, sun care is, is such a big uh, topic in the personal care industry. And, and it's, so that's really wonderful that you, you get to work with that and, and, you know, protect so many lives. How did you get um, where you are today? Well, I really have to say hard work. And Kobo is, as I mentioned previously, we're a raw materials company. And we have a lot of roots in Japan. And a lot of the great mineral sunscreen manufacturers are located in Japan. Companies like uh, Sumitomo Cement, Teika, Ishihara, Sakai, Titan Kogyo. In the mid-1990s, worked with these companies to create new products for the U.S. market. Products which had small particle sizes, had good surface treatments that that they could be dispersed, you know, in, in formulations. And we work to deliver products of different particle sizes to get broad spectrum protection. And at the same time, we were fortunate in that we had a lot of uh, customers and, and scientists that were really hungry for, for new materials. So it was uh, really a collaboration in the sense that we had suppliers willing to create products and we had customers that were willing to evaluate them, coat them and disperse them to optimize their performance. And you know, between the suppliers, the customers and our uh, R&D, uh, we were able to introduce a lot of new materials and continuously further our knowledge. And we, we've been working like this since, as I said, since around 1994. And you know, sun, sun protection products are a very important part of Kobo's business. You know, they continue to be. Right. And, and with that, you know, there must be a lot of regulations that are continuously changing, right? How do you see regulations impacting sun care in the next five years? You know, in the past, there's been a lot of negativity because we don't have as many materials to use to create formulas as, as let's say, in Europe, where sun products are regulated as cosmetics, you know, or Japan. So in the U.S., sun, sun protection products are regulated as drugs. So the regulation is different. And there's been a, there was a great frustration, as I said, with the lack of approval of uh, new materials. I, I believe what's happened since COVID is a good thing that came out of it. You can count them on probably a hand, but, but one good thing that came out of it was the CARES Act. And in the CARES Act, there was a modification of the regulation and the monograph process, which was an administrative nightmare in that there were many agencies involved in reviewing those products and basically things just didn't get done. So 
with, uh, according to the CARES Act, there, there's going to be a new process, which is an administrative order process. So basically, by order, the FDA will be able to get changes done. So that will enable them to make regulations more quickly. And I believe that there is a motivation since COVID for government and industry. You know, we've seen that with the vaccines to work more closely together to solve public health problems. And certainly sun protection is an area where, you know, is a, is a matter of public health. You have, you know, sun, sun damage is lethal. Okay, people, you know, get melanoma, they get skin cancer. And basically by having good products and good education, people can be protected. So I believe there's, uh, and also with fewer, if less people get sick, it's going to cost less. I mean, public health is expensive. So there's governments uh, should be motivated to, to do more, be part of this equation to get better products for people to protect themselves from the sun. Right. And, you know, speaking about the general public, uh, to me, it's it's kind of interesting that with all the, the, the information and science and facts that we've learned about skin cancers and um, skin care from, from the UV rays, people still lack knowledge in sun care. You know, what is something you wish the general public knew more about in sun care? Well, that's a great question. Uh, a great question. And when I was preparing for the NYSCC uh, symposium, I discovered that schools don't permit kids to apply sunscreen in school, less than 20 states. Okay, so, you know, if you think about regulation of sunscreens, you have it at the federal level, the FDA, but also you have it at the state and local level. So, for example, Hawaii where they banned oxybenzone or in Key West, you know, where they, where they tried to ban it uh, because of, you know, an issue, because they have a lot of uh, reefs there and, and the concern with damage of oxybenzone to the reefs. So you have states play a role in regulation, okay? And basically in each state, you know, states are responsible for regulating schools. It's, it's, there's a minority of schools that allow uh, sunscreen to be applied in school. So, you know, why is that important? Well, kids spend a lot of time every, you know, during the year in schools, okay? You know, if you have children, it, it's a challenge to get your kid up for school and either on the bus or walk to school and to uh, have to put sunscreen on is, is just, uh, you know, it's basically, perhaps over the top, okay? And illogical that states don't permit kids to apply sunscreen in school. And, you know, if you think about it, so much of health is related to developing good habits when you're a young person, okay? Wash your hands, brush your teeth, okay? These are things you're taught from a very early age. So why aren't schools doing a better job to educate kids to apply sunscreen. You know, PTOs together with schools should make sure that playgrounds, that there's shade, you know, enough shade. Again, there has to be instilled on kids 
a greater awareness of potential damage, you know, from sun. And for all people, sun damage is cumulative. So the more exposed you get, or the less you protect yourself, you have a greater risk. And you could get melanoma in your 40s, you could get it later. It's important to be careful. So the message that that, that I would want people to pay attention to is to learn, you know, educate yourself, get aware the risks of overexposure to the sun and talk about it to your local PTOs and get pressure put on principals and school districts and state boards of education so that you could put a sunscreen on in school. Believe it or not, in New Jersey, you can't use it. There were bills sponsored, but it, it wasn't passed. So, you know, you think we are in a, in a state where education is at a pretty high level, right? But you can't include in a kid's backpack a sunscreen that they can use in school. That's definitely interesting. I've, I've never knew about that. Um, hopefully we can see different news uh, in the coming years of allowing us to send children to school with sunscreen. It's in part because in the U.S., sunscreens are regulated as drugs. So there's a fear that the kid is coming to school with a drug product. Is it safe to apply? You know, that's why we need that public-private partnership. We need people to understand, you know, for, like, for example, now the minerals, category one, grass, they're safe. So, you know, if they're safe, then states should allow them to be used, right? right. There, there needs to be more synergy and, and more better connectivity so that regulations make sense and that, and that they're applied to make sense and protect people. How is the sunscreen um, or sun care industry building and, and creating innovative products? Do you think that they're also trying to push the, the general public to be more aware and, and educated on their products? Do you see more innovation in that message or innovation in the products? You remember Dr. Doolittle, the push me, pull me? <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, it's kind of like that. It goes, it, it goes both ways. So it's... You know, we have to deal, you know, we've, we've talked quite a bit about regulations, okay? So certainly that regulations drive innovation, but then what's also important, trends, non-government organizations, the things that they push, and, and they in part drive consumer preferences. We have to, in creating novel sun care products, we, we have to focus on those things certainly to the extent that we can make better products we can drive consumer preferences i would agree with that so for example again i think it's really the push me pull me because if you look at you know what what's important now so in the past there was a, there was a lot of concerns in the us about nano you know, are those materials toxic? Are they safe? Do they use too much energy? There's been a, a lot of investigation into nanomaterials. A lot of discussion has gone into them, particularly uh, in Europe, and people believe they're safe and effective, and more consumers are willing to use them. So more products 
are being created that include nanomaterials. If you think about, you know, natural materials of natural origin, that's another trend. Okay, but that that's coming more because of consumer preferences. Clean beauty, you know, that's coming more from consumer preferences. So it means we have to create surface treatments. So one of the things we do is we make particles hydrophobic so that they can be more readily dispersed. We have a lot of products based on silicone chemistry. Okay, some consumers are okay with silicones as being clean. Others are not. So then we need to come up with other materials which can give the powders a hydrophobic coating and good dispersibility so that we can optimize the particle size in the formulation. You know, another area is UVA. It used to be that SPF 15 was thought to be sufficient. Now, government recommends, you know, SPF 30 with broad spectrum protection. To the extent industry is able to create aesthetically pleasing products, which can be applied easily and give performance, people will use them and the, the market will expand. And, and you know, what, what's happened is too, marketing has changed because there's a lot more digital marketing. You've got, you've got a lot of people on social media promoting products to the extent that you could make a, a mineral sunscreen, which can rub in quickly and give broad spectrum protection and give an SPF 30. And you, you have, uh, you know, some star power behind it. You can expand the market. So markets are, are changing. And as a supplier or, or a company that, that sells finished products, you've got to uh, pay attention to regulations, not only regulations, but trends and consumer preferences. And yeah, sometimes you can drive consumer preferences, but sometimes you've got to respond to them. It's, it's both ways, which is why I said the push me, pull me. Did that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. I totally understand. You know, you got to give a little to get a little and um, it's a very symbiotic relationship. And, you know, speaking about the industry, what do you think that some of the biggest challenges are right now for the sun care industry? Well, you know, as I mentioned, we are, you know, in our business, we have expertise in the mineral sunscreens. You know, to have broad spectrum protection, it's important to include bigger particles because UV is from 290 to 400 nanometers. And to get that long wave UVA protection, it's important to use big particles, which will scatter light. And the challenges with those bigger particles are they, as I said, they, they scatter light and then they tend to be more opaque and they could make a bluish tint or, or, or a gray tint, okay? And one of the challenges are, you know, nowadays is to get these minerals to work for the American population, okay? So... When you have formulas for children, you could use bigger particles. And if the particles are a little whitening, it's, it's probably a good thing because you can see where the material is being applied. When it comes to an adult, if you include those larger particles and the formula looks whitening on the skin, it, it could be a problem. So again, too, when you think about 
the sun protection products. Okay, there, there are different kinds. Okay, you've got daily wear products, you've got makeup products, and then you've got beach products. Makeup products, you can use larger particles. It's easier to include iron oxides and pearlescent pigments, and you're able to make products which work on a wide range of skin tones, lighter skin tones, and then skin tones which are uh, deeper and richer. You know, you can do that. But when you're talking about beach products, it's much more challenging because when you include iron oxides in a beach product, you could have a problem with the product staining, you know, a bathing suit. You could try to make a formula that's transfer proof, but then that might be more challenging to apply or it might be uncomfortable. So there's a lot of there's a lot of application work that needs to be done to make formulas which can apply more quickly and give the protection. How do we and we talked about it a little bit earlier. How do we get people educated, how do we get people interested in wearing sunscreens, okay? And if somebody who has a, a deeper or richer, you know, skin tone puts on a product and just doesn't match their skin tone, they're not going to want to wear it. So they might decide not to wear anything, which, you know, is a, is a bad choice. There needs to be more work done to make products which can work for for adults. We've got a lot of good products with minerals for, for babies and for kids, but we, we need to improve the products for adults with, with light skin tones and adults with deeper and richer skin tones. Do you think the UV portfolio is going to be expanded? That's a good question. I believe so because of the change in regulation brought on by the CARES Act. Before, when we had this monograph system, it was a very cumbersome process to, to get any change. You know, and as a result, we, we couldn't. I believe in the future, we're going to have a greater partnership between government and industry, and that's going to lead to more materials getting approved. And when more materials get approved as gross, there will be more combinations available. And I think also, let's be confident in the future. Let's be confident in, in our industry and in, and in science. And we continue to learn more about skin and, and material science and UV light. And with that knowledge, there'll be more new products developed. There'll be a deeper understanding and a greater motivation to have more products approved. And, and, and what you see also is you see companies where, you know, if you look at a company like Uber, yeah, I don't follow their, their stock price or their business so much, but, but I, I do recall there was a time when, you know, they were losing a lot of money, okay? But they provide a great service in that people can get around at a, at a low cost or, you know, to deliver food. Okay. So the, the, the service is very good. You know, perhaps we need more, you know, maybe we need the public investment so that we can go out and test a, a sun product on 40,000 people so that we can convince government some of these materials, which are 
have been around are safe and, and effective. You know, why, why can't that be done? And, you know, maybe, you know, government spent a billion dollars on vaccines. They, they don't need to spend a billion dollars to get uh, new sunscreens. So, it's, again, it's a matter of we, we need that public-private partnership driven by science and driven by what people want. So, again, it's that push me, pull me. We need to go, government and industry has got to educate people. The product's got to be better so people want them. And then there's got to be a pushback from people to get government to act, to invest in technology. And if we all, you know, if we could break down these barriers and work together, you know, I'm positive. I'm, I'm optimistic. We can get more products approved. The portfolio can be expanded and, and we can have better products. And, and then they could still be regulated as drug products. Why not? Definitely. And I'm very hopeful of that in the future. I think we will only get, you know, have more knowledge and more science behind the facts and the testing and on a lot of personal care items. And I'm, I'm hoping to see that. Where do you see the industry being in 10 years? I believe it'll be in a better place because of science. And again, because of consumer preferences, you know, minerals are purer than ever. When we started to supply zinc oxide products, the heavy metals were maybe 10 to 20 ppm. Again, depending on how you test them, or they were less than 10 ppm. But in the last 10 years, there's a drive to have heavy metals between 5 and 7 ppm. And now, you know, in the last year, we have customers asking us to supply materials with lead less than 2 ppm. What I expect we're going to see is pure materials that are coated better, that are better, that perform better because the size is optimized to provide protection against particular wavelengths. We'll have better dispersants, better naturally derived carriers so that we can make products which are pure and have less of an environmental impact and that can deliver broad spectrum protection. I think that's really the, you know, those things are what we are where we need to go. Purity of materials, broad protection in terms of against UV light, and you could include IR and with minimal environmental impact. So we know what we have to do. And now we've got to work harder and harder for the benefit of consumers. I totally agree with you. Um, well, thank you, David, for joining us on our podcast on the science behind the art. It was a pleasure to interview you. I hope you had as much fun as, as I did. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. It was a great opportunity to be able to talk and to share what I've learned working at Kobo on sun products, you know, for around 25 years and, you know, share some of my thoughts. Like what you heard? The NYSEC is here to move cosmetic science forward. Stay tuned to our next episodes and visit nysec.org for more content. Hey, Susanna Fernandez here, this year's NYSEC's chair. Don't forget about Suppliers Days, beauty's main event for innovation in ingredients and formulation taking place on November 10th and 11th at the Javits Center in New York City. There will also be a virtual day on Friday, November 12th to make it accessible for everyone in the industry.
We look forward to seeing you there. Visit us at nyscc.org slash suppliersday today.